it feels very much like late, late cycle where um, when interest rates go higher, precious metals do, do well anyway. But let me let me maybe address the, the elephant in the room, which is the valuation of the miners. Um, the key difference from the previous cycle is that the, the major mining companies have the house in order. And uh, that the, the balance sheets are in fabulous shape. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with FedWatcher and fund manager Axel Merck. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Axel, in which he explains why he's skeptical the Federal Reserve will successfully tame inflation, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Axel and I, as well as our partners at New Harbor Financial, share in this video. And please take just a moment to support this channel by first liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Doing so is easy and it helps this channel reach a lot more viewers. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Axel Merck. So, uh, yeah, it feels very much like late cycle where um, when interest rates go higher, precious metals do, do well anyway. But let me let me maybe address the, the elephant in the room, which is the valuation of the miners. Um, the key difference from the previous cycle is that the, the major mining companies have the house in order. And uh, that, that the balance sheets are in fabulous shape, which is great news on the one hand. On the other hand, because they actually have a lot of cash on their balance sheets, they provide less leverage to the price of gold than historically they have. Um, gold mines don't last forever. And these, these big mining companies have been kind of working on, on their fields. But what they haven't done is they haven't been aggressively on an acquisition spree. Uh, one reason why I don't think we are at the, at the end of the cycle. Um, they certainly haven't overpaid for acquisitions. And, and so they, and M&A activity has increased a, a bit. Um, especially the, the, the mid-sized players, they've had to think about where they want to be and they've started to kind of merge with one another a little bit. Um, where we are is we, we've gone down quite a bit on the market cap um, because we think that that's how the big companies, so to speak, uh, outsourcing the exploration and then they'll selectively buy them, preferably if it's geographically or otherwise very compatible with, with what they do. And uh, that's where we think the value is. Now, mind you, gold mining is speculative, and then the juniors are particularly speculative. So we we, we say we, we take kind of an adventure capital approach, meaning we sprinkle our money wide. We have been in the lucky position that we've been able to help fund many of these small um, exploration companies. And uh, one of the things we do is we, we what we say is we help institutionalize them, meaning when we, together with some others, come in and provide them with some money, they are stronger to go to the next phase. And the next time they, they raise money, the bigger institutional players can come in. And each time somebody participates in one of these capital raises, we think there is some additional um, bonus that one can get as an investor. Now, obviously, um, doing that as an individual is extremely hard because A, you need to find out which companies these are, and B, you need to be invited to participate in these deals and so forth. So that's not so easy. But the the, the key reason why, why overall the valuation looks quite attractive for the relative to the S&P or relative to the price of gold uh, for these bigger companies is because they're much less leveraged than they used to be. I think that's the very simple explanation. And then the other one may be that, yes, that uh, 
that maybe that we've seen otherwise. Uh, Axel, we lost your uh, we lost your video there on like the last two sec two maybe two sentences. Yeah. Audio, right, Adam? His video. The, the, the audio. Sorry. You, not, you not lost audio. my audio. Yes, not the me. my 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 yeah. Bluetooth. Yeah, went went away. So. I lost my train of thought, not just the Bluetooth <laughs> a second, but the, um, the, these, these major mining companies, they, they have less leverage than they used to have. And uh, obviously that, that's one reason. The other one might be that the, the, the folks who like the real craziness in the markets, they have gone off to the meme stocks and uh, some of the crypto space, and that has dampened some of the volatility maybe in, in a gold space. Uh, so I think that's overall a healthy development. Um, all of that means that the devaluations are reasonable. Um, the we think the better bang for the buck is, is more downstream in the miners, but that the, the the big companies are very well managed and uh, they should also provide some leverage to the price of gold. Great, and those big companies should provide some leverage to the price of gold, um, but a lot of them are providing dividends too, right? So you actually get paid to wait for that leverage to come up, right? Yeah, yeah, I just don't want to provide the illusion of safety because that's not what investing yeah. in mining companies is. Yeah, I mean, and right? let's yeah. let's reiterate for everybody, and this this is a very highly speculative industry, especially as you go lower in market cap, like Axel was just saying he was doing. Yeah. Precious metals themselves are volatile. The miners are even more volatile. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but it's worth reminding folks here. But what's interesting, Axel, is you know more and more of the experts that I've been talking to, and tell me if you agree, disagree, but you know they're basically expecting now, especially with the bloom coming off the rose of um, you know the overall euphoria in the markets, um, the higher interest rates we were talking about beginning to you know act as gravity and whatnot, um, that they expect to see more and more capital begin to leave the high flying sectors that have done so well under the previous regime of you know, rock bottom interest rates, uh, super cheap liquidity everywhere. Um, and trying to find, you know, a better home where it's better treated. And you know, as you said, in this sector now, uh, valuation valuations are so low, you know, when you're looking at price to sales and, you know, all the different valuation metrics that we look at. Um, and these companies, which, you know, were sort of notorious in decades past for having a lot of shysters, a lot of fly by night, uh, guys, uh, you know, inexperienced management that just loaded up the balance sheet with debt or issued tons of equity and diluted everybody. That's all been cleaned up now here. So you, you, you have the sector that here that has like really positive fundamentals behind it, but it's a relatively small sector. And if cash, if capital becomes moving in from these great big tech stocks, or maybe even from the bond market, right? Like, you know, in, in the world of bonds with, with higher interest rates going forward, you know, a lot of people feel like I don't want to be in bonds in that type of market, right? So where am I going to put that capital to, to be a, a counterweight to my, you know, long general equity? Well, geez, maybe I'll, I'll get exposure to the precious metals and I'll buy some of these mining companies to get leverage. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, is that, is well, that is, are you as excited about those prospects as those guys? Or are you a little less? Yes, yes and no. Um, the First of all, if we have a general market crash, as uh, as I think you you are trying to paint out that potential scenario, potential um, scenario, not saying it's yes, going to happen, but yeah, that means financial conditions are deteriorating. And let's keep in mind that especially the junior mining companies are in this periodic need of capital, and so 
there is the risk on the mining side, you have the credit risk that access to capital is more difficult. And that's also when you do provide funding to these entities, you want to partner up with other folks that the next time there's a funding route, the others are strong enough to provide funding. There's obviously no assurance of that, uh, but not all of these, these companies will make it. So that's just one caveat. The other one is when you have a general deleveraging, the money does go, go from A to B, the money evaporates sometimes, right? Um, you, you, you blow something up with a bubble, the bubble bursts and it, it implodes. Absolutely, goes to money. Uh, and, and, yeah. and so now where I do agree, and I'm not sure whether you made that point, but let me just give you credit for that point. Um, we, we've had a lot of investors who were burned in the last bull market in, in gold mining. And so it will take a while for those folks to get into the gold mining sector. And so when all of these guys are euphoric, that's when we're at the end of that bull market. And I, I think we're a long way off from that. And so a lot of investors who have historically been reluctant to be in this space have gradually tiptoed in that. And, and that's why they, they go to the, the majors first and then the, gradually they go down the chain. Also, when you have a rally in the markets, you, you tend to first go to the big guys and then the money tends to trickle down to the smaller ones um, later. Whether that money will come from the high-tech investors or somewhere else, I don't know where it's going to come from. Um, I think it will come from the the low correlation that ultimately it has. And so when people then rebalance, they will think about it. The question is, at what time will the big institutions allocate some more money to, to that space? And I think that will be a very slow and gradual process. And then so um, I know you have a lot of guests who are very euphoric. Uh, we lost your audio again. Very. Uh, I'm. We lost yeah, you. You're now back. Now I hear you. Yes, but it's kind of. Yeah, it's kind of going in and out now. Yeah. Okay. Now it's back in here. Um, okay. let, let me just. Maybe it's my phone here stealing things. Let me turn this one off. That might be causing it. Um, okay. And so when when we have um, when 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 we have institutional money move in, that would be something very positive. Big institutional money. There are some institutions obviously investing in this space. We do see from the conversations that we have that a broader range of investors is gradually um, kind of taking a look at gold mining again, um, including some that have previously gotten burned. And so they're, they're nibbling, so to speak. I'm perfectly happy if this is a very slow moving process. I, and uh, the audio probably cut out earlier. There, there are folks who think are very euphoric. Um, and that's great for them. And if they're right, that's that's wonderful. I actually don't mind it being a bit more of a frustrating process because it's a much healthier process, a much longer lasting process if that were to happen. Right, right. I think that's that's totally right too. Um, question, I don't I don't know. So I'd just love to get your opinion on this. You know, there's a lot of money that has flown into cryptocurrencies, you know, especially into the early coins, right? Which were, hey, this is a huge libertarian movement. Um, you know, we're getting out of the fiat money system. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are people in that market now that are sitting on some losses, right? You know, Bitcoin's gone from a high of close to 70,000. It's down near in the low 40,000s right now. Assume for a moment that that doesn't recover in the next year or so. Do you expect any of that capital finding its way into gold? Because a lot of those initial crypto investors, at least, you know, on the retail side, um, young folks, uh, so they kind of came into this from a, a, a sound money awakening, and they kind of learned about it through the eyes of Bitcoin or other cryptos. Um, and, and perhaps they might want to say, well, look, I'm not getting the returns so much from this investment anymore, but I'm still 
you know, awaken to the sound money thing. And okay, well, gold is sound money. And yeah, I've now listened to some of these older investors who've told me about it. And yeah, maybe I'm willing to actually try some of that. Do, do you see any rotation out of crypto into gold at any point here? I, I think it's it's called diversification. I'm not trying to endorse any particular investment, but then when, when I've been asked about these, these crypto assets, um, I refer to it as as uh, as Netscape. Um, Netscape is not around anymore, but the internet is still around, right? There will be new incarnations. Um, the folks are not just, they didn't just have sound money awakening out of nothing. It's because they felt like they were screwed left and right um, by the sort of policies we have. And so they're, they're trying to find answers as, as we all do. Um, chasing any speculative answer, in my view, is not the answer. Um, but of course, hey, if they made money, great. If they made, if they lost money, in some ways, even better, because some of the most disciplined investors are those that have lost money at the outset, um, and so then they they start doing their homework maybe more more diligently. Um, and so, yes, they will look around, and, uh, and some people will look at others. I also happen to think on the in the crypto space, there will be new incarnations of uh, decentralized ledgers type of investments that uh, that will have some more basis other than being limited in supply unless you create a duplicate somewhere else, right? That's not exactly um, to me what uh, limited supply is, um, but there will be answers to those questions. And I would think some of them may well have to do with gold. Great, yeah, I was actually just gonna mention that as you were saying that where um, there are, you know, there's the potential out there to marry the two together in some ways, right? So um, very interesting, who knows what the future will bring, but I'm sure we'll be watching it closely here. Well, Axel, look, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time here. Um, if folks wanna follow you in your work, maybe learn more about your funds, where should they go? I'm not gonna tout my funds here, but you can go to our website, merckinvestments.com. From there, you can go to many places and uh, then follow me on Twitter at Axel Merck. That's where you get my, um, my live updates. Uh, do sign up, by the way, at merkinvestments.com to our newsletter because I cannot, if you sign up for a newsletter, then we can give you some product information at some point. On Twitter, I don't, I can't talk product. Um, so, but yeah, join me on Twitter, go to merkinvestments.com and uh, get to know us a little bit better. All right, great. And as somebody who gets both Axel's newsletters and follows him daily on Twitter, um, uh, you get all the same wisdom that you just got in this conversation, uh, along with a lot of great charts. Um, Axel uh, puts out a lot, yeah. a lot of great yes, data. Yes, I should, I should mention that at MerckResearch.com, we publish monthly chart books where we go in depth into things that happen in, in the S&P, in the business cycle and, and whatnot. Business cycle, because it's a predictor of how risk assets might do. So it's, it's much more disciplined than the sort of free talk that we have here. But uh, it's, uh, um, we, we, love, we love charts. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much, Axel. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a good one. All right. Now's the time of the program where we follow up with the lead partners at New Harbor Financial, one of Wealthion's top endorsed financial advisors. I'm joined by the lead partners, Mike Preston and John Loder. Hey, guys, let's jump right into it. So, Mike, what did you think about what Axel had to say there? Hey, Adam, nice to see you. Uh, good to be back this week. We, we've been fans of Axel and his firm for a long time. He's a big believer in real assets. Um, he's long, long run a couple different funds that focus on, on real things like uh, currencies and, and you know, uh, precious metals. So we followed his work for a long time. Um, perhaps we disagree a little bit on the path. No one really knows what the path's going to look like here going forward. I think we can all agree that we're at 
an extreme place in terms of valuations and in, ter in terms of monetary intervention worldwide. I mean, I, I think that very few of us could have imagined how insane monetary intervention has gotten to the point that that's really almost all we talk about anymore. You know, we people in this industry, or if you tune into CNBC, it's all about the Fed and what is the Fed going to do? Axel talked early on about the real risk is that if confidence in the Fed is lost, we agree that's, that's really the risk. If confidence in the Fed is lost and asset prices start to plunge and, and, and central bankers step in to try to save it again, which they will, they've shown no restraint thus far and shouldn't show any restraint, I don't think, next time. And yet asset prices still plunge for some unforeseen reason. Yeah, then confidence will be lost. Usually it's a process of pain that causes people to lose confidence. They don't just wake up and say, just decide someday that I'm not going to have confidence today. Usually it's some type of breach of trust um, or some type of pain that causes that to happen. And we can't predict a plunge or a crash in the market any more than anyone else can. And we've certainly learned humility over the years. But I could say that a crash would be expected from, ex from extreme sets of data, such as what we're seeing. It wouldn't take much to trigger. And um, fair valuation is way, way, way below here, maybe 60 to 70% below here, if you believe models that have proven to be true over 100 plus years. So, you know, Axel talked about the roaring 20s. Yeah, we, we do think we're later in that game, perhaps, than he does. I'm not sure that matters because we are preaching caution, both of us, to the audience. And we seem to all believe in, uh, at least in this, in gold and, um, and, and the, the mining shares. The mining shares are a tiny fraction of the overall S&P. Like Alex said, um, they've cleaned up their balance sheet. There was a really good move in them today. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but the type of move to, that you saw today is the type of daily move you would expect to see at the start of a kickoff of a larger move. Doesn't always follow through, but every big move always starts with a, a one-day kickoff like this. So I'll pause there. Those are just a few thoughts that I've got. All right, great. I want to come back to today's action in a moment, but but John, first, let me give you a chance to respond to Axel's commentary there. Yeah, like I like Mike said, we we've been big big fans. I think we could say we're friends of of Axel. We've had uh, chats with him, not just about markets and investing, but about tractors and farming. So he's a good guy. We consider him a friend. Um, yeah. So just just quickly on the the twenties uh, analog, um, you know, if you look at the the nineteen twenties. You know, um, we we were here at the beginning of the 2020s at valuation levels that are in excess of the very peak of the Roaring 20s of the 1920s. Um, so you might, I think, the, maybe the better analog is that the the 20 teens perhaps were our 1920s, were our Roaring 20s in terms of market speculation and expansion and and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, interest rates in the 20s, 1920s, 10-year uh, Treasury bonds were between four and 5%, I think, throughout that whole period, vastly different than where we are today. You know, so um, the, the tailwind is behind us in terms of interest rates. And we're talking about a regime change here where, where the Fed is likely going to be forced to raise interest rates. But you know, the, the key point here is, is um, you know, valuations are horrible timing indicators. And you know, Axel is, I think, I think mostly correct that you know, markets tend not to, to collapse during an expansionary cycle. Um, I don't think that's a 
accurate. I think there are some periods where we've had some, some crashes, at least many crashes in, in quote unquote expansionary cycles. But what we do know is that valuations have had a very robust um, indicator of what the likely returns over a subsequent period of time of say seven, five, seven, 10 years is likely to be. All to say that, you know, it's not so important to, to pick the actual top because great tops have gone down in flames of fury only to wipe out a decade or more of, of advance. So who cares about where the top is if the likelihood of keeping any of it is, is very low? And that's what we try to focus on. You know, uh, we, we do use technical indicators, but at some point when markets get disjointed, disjointed from reality, the technicals really, uh, we think are false um, comforts um, because um, eventually the elevator drops and the technical signals miss that, right? Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're very cautious, uh, humble, humbly cautious um, for, for the reasons that the, the data tell, tells us to be. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, I, I think back to last week's interview with Jesse Felder, where, um, uh, you know, not only are there, there are fundamental and technical uh, reasons to, you know, make arguments pro and con, but there's also policy reasons. And the policy has shifted, right? So the policy of the past decade um, we now are taking a completely oppositional course to that with the Fed's pivot now to being, you know, hawkish and, you know, substantially hawkish relative to where they were before. Um, so, you know, Jesse likened what the Fed is doing right now is waving a pin in front of the largest asset bubble in history, right? And in his, his view, uh, you know, the Fed is trying to engineer a correction, but a managed correction here, a manageable one, right? Maybe a 15, 20%, 25% magnitude to kind of take a lot of the excess and froth and give the Fed some wiggle room here. Um, lots of debate over how successful the Fed may be able to do that if that's indeed their goal here. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it's just another set of, of warning lights on the dashboard that are saying, hey, this is a time for caution here. Policy has shifted in a pretty substantial way and in a way that history suggests, you know, when, when, whenever the, the past three past rate hiking cycles uh, that the Fed has undergone, uh, we've had a market correction and, and we've also had a subsequent recession, right? So um, it just is additional, you know, fodder to say, okay, maybe it's now not time to try to reach fully for, you know, maximal returns. And to your point, John, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting out of the game a little bit early or taking, you know, more of your chips off the table sooner here so that you're not involved in the scramble should this inevitably, or should this as, as often happens, um, end up in a point where there's sort of an elevator drop, I think you said, where everybody's caught by surprise, you know, and everybody who thought they'd be one of the first out of the room uh, and mathematically, everybody can't, you know, is now trying to squeeze through a very short exit after the insults already happened here. So uh, well put. All right, Mike, let me go back to you just so we can uh, talk about today's action here a bit. So um, if you could just summarize some of the numbers for folks, but gold was up big, silver was up even bigger. It was a little bit kind of out of nowhere, um, unless you guys have a catalytical trigger for this that I missed today, and I might have missed it because I was interviewing all day. Um, you know, it, it seemed to just be one of those sort of shifts of the type that we've been trying to prepare people for in this space, which is, hey, at some point, capital is going to start flowing into this space for one of a number of reasons. And, uh, and when it does, given the relatively small nature of the space, 
prices can move really fast. Um, and like I said, gold and silver were up, but the miners were on fire today. So if you could talk to that. And, you know, I, I think this is, it's important to focus on it briefly here because I think what this is, is a preview of what might be coming. And um, if there are going to potentially be big uh, sort of phase changes in price like this, the key message that folks need to take away is you got to be in it before those happen because they tend to be really fast and furious like they are today. And uh, if you're one of the people who sort of been thinking about getting into this space, but hasn't taken any action yet, if you delay too long, you may actually miss the majority of the action once it actually transpires. So with that context, Mike, let me hand it back to you. Yeah, I'd like to say a couple different things. First of all, just in uh, closing some thoughts about the, the broad market, you ask about miners and gold and silver, and I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, I want to mention something about the broad market. And um, just further to what we were talking about before, that nobody's willing to call a top or willing to call for a big drop. You know, we, we too um, don't know the future. We don't know what, what's going to happen this year. But I'll tell you, there's almost nobody that's willing um, to to call the top at this point because the bears have gotten so battered and so humbled, they're almost murmuring in a corner, licking their wounds, you know? And so that's the checkbox of things that you'd like to see at a big top, you know, extreme valuations, bad technicals, a few stocks leading the pack and a lot of the others falling, like at the NASDAQ, half the stocks are down 40% or more or were going into the recent top. So and the last thing, you know, seeing retail all in and the longtime bears just really, really quiet. It's been that way for a few months. And here, all of a sudden, I'm looking at a chart. The S&P is trading where it was at the end of August or September 1st at today's close. The NASDAQ is trading where it was in August, early August. Um, the entire Santa Claus rally is gone in just a few days. And I can tell you that still almost nobody is worried. You know, I'm seeing more comments about buying the dip or you know, just staying the course. There's no worry. This is a perfect storm. If this continues and starts to accelerate, there'll be a lot of panic. And there's a lot more risk in this market than people realize. So I wanted to get that out there. And also, as far as gold, silver, and the mining shares. Again, I talked earlier about a, a kickoff. We've been, we've been looking at this triangle in gold that's, that started at the top of gold in August of 20 and has gone sideways for one and a half long years. And there's been a couple kind of uh, fake moves to the downside, finding a support shelf at 1680. And then today, a big move out uh, and a two-day move in, in silver of $2, $2, 22 to 24. Now, gold really hasn't completely broken out of that triangle that I'm talking about, but you can also, if you look at the major ETF that holds gold mining shares and, and draw a downsloping um, line on it, we are getting close to breaking that downtrend. That downtrend would be somewhere, um, talking about GDX, the biggest ETF, that would be somewhere around 35 or so, or you can look at the broad indexes like XAU. Bottom line is another day like today, would put it right through that downtrend and would very likely could cause an acceleration higher. The industry is very tiny. Um, there's a lot of distrust out there now about, I think there's starting to be distrust about central banks um, being able to control inflation and that type of thing. So um, I, we think it could be a powder keg that moves to the upside. All right, great, thanks. Um, you mentioned GDX, that's 
folks that don't know, that's the main ETF that tracks uh, the larger mining companies there. Uh, and uh, those are the people with that, the higher, the larger balance sheets as opposed to the, the smaller balance sheets that Axel was talking about. So these are the less volatile guys uh, in that sector. And that ETF was up over 7% today. Um, so uh, kind of the, the sleepier guys in that sector were up 7% today. GDXJ, I haven't looked at it, but I'm sure was up even more. Um, and within GDX, you know, there's some players there that are up, you know, 15 plus percent or so in a single day. Uh, and I'm just mentioning this not to, you know, try to sell this sector to people as a way to get rich fast, but it's just, these are the types of moves that you begin to see when the sector begins to, to catch fire. Um, and, you know, as Mike was saying, we haven't even had a breakout yet of, of the, the long-term wedge for gold. But if we do, you know, we could potentially expect to see numerous days like this as uh, all of a sudden new capital starts to flood into the space. All right, John, as we wrap up here, um, any final words for folks? Um, yeah, as we, you know, uh, I, um, I think Axel put it very um, succinctly when he talks about you know, being able to sleep at night. Um, that, that is, I mean, we, we work, what Mike and I do, we work with humans, we work with good people, right? Yeah, we, we, uh, we operate in markets and we, we deal in numbers and financials, uh, but at the end of the day, our business is about the people that we call clients and, and they're good people and they trust us and we, we um, feel humbled by that. Um, but it's about sleeping, it's about life, it's about living your life in, in peace with, with your, your financial security or hopefully that security. And that's where, we humans get the better of ourselves. You know, um, there's that slogan, you know, you want to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fear fearful. I hate using that word greedy because it, it speaks to a darkness. It, it's really a fear. Um, and, you know, we humans are, are programmed to do, to want to do the wrong things kind of at the wrong time. And that's why we here at New Harbor ground ourselves in data because we'd want to do all the things that textbook anyways, historically speaking, have been wrong if we didn't have the data. Now, we, we'd be the first to admit that this episode of the last decade or so has turned so many things on its head. Um, we don't think permanently. We think it's just created a dislocation that will be that much more, you know, shocking or, or frankly, uh, fear inspiring than, than perhaps prior episodes. Um, but we, we just want to acknowledge that, you know, we, we too want to create a, a um, scenario for our clients where not only can they sleep at night, but they can rest easy during the day. And unfortunately, when a, a stew has been cooked up like we have now with, with Fed policy and whatnot, sometimes you can't escape the inescapable. It's, it's, it's just what it is. You can't sugarcoat it. The best you can do is, is um, you, know, you know, position oneself in the best possible light, knowing there will be brighter times ahead. And we have absolutely no uh, doubt about that. And that's why we, we think that a, a defensive conservative posturing will enable folks to not only ride the storm out, um, you know, fairly intact, but to, to avail themselves of those opportunities that present on the other side. Great. Thanks. Well, you know, smart positioning speaks to Axel's exhortation of folks of developing a plan, um, you know, working with somebody who can help you put a plan in place that can then be executed and adapted as, you know, new developments come on in. For new watchers here, um, if you would like to, when it comes to your money, if you'd like to sleep better at night, if you'd like to have greater ease of mind during the day around it, when you think about it, um, uh, John and Mike and their team at New Harbor Financial 
they give free portfolio consultations to uh, anybody that wants to sleep better at night. You don't have to work with them. It doesn't cost you anything. They do it strictly as a public service. Um, if you have any interest in that, just stick around to the end of the video um, and we tell you how you can very easily connect yourself with one of Wealthion's endorsed financial advisors to have one of those conversations. Um, all right, guys, well, as we wrap up, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on Saturday for Wealthion's next online conference. Um, for folks that haven't heard me talk about it yet, uh, it's going to be an amazing day. We've got over a dozen amazing speakers uh, if I can remember them real quickly, it's uh, uh, Lacey Hunt, uh, Jim Grant, uh, Luke Roman, Jim Rickards, Danielle DiMartino Booth, Brent Johnson, uh, Lance Roberts, uh, and then experts on real estate, crypto, precious metals, and farmland. Um, John and Mike are going to be my co-hosts for the day. We're going to have a lot of live audience Q&A with them, so you can ask them any questions you have about money. Uh, that's coming up, like I said, just in 48 hours, so only two days left to register. If you want to learn more and get your tickets, go to Wealthion.com slash Jan2022. And uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, this interview with Axel, would like to see more experts like him on the channel, please take just a quick second to support us by hitting the like button and then clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as a little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. Uh, and in addition to reaching out to schedule a conversation with John and Mike, um, just uh, whatever happens next from here, guys, um, nobody knows for sure what's going to happen, but we'll be tracking it week for week here. And uh, thanks for joining me this week. And guys, look forward to seeing you next week. Everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks so much, Adam. We'll see you Saturday. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Adam. Have a great evening. See you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, 
Go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching. Thank you.